Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today we're continuing our series called This Is Us. And there is a television show by the same name. Uh, They stole it from us, I'm sure. But uh, the show is all about this family, this unique, diverse family and all their ups and downs and all the challenges that they have. And really what the show is about is about how this family interacts, how they get along, what their life looks like. And for us as a church, I believe we're a family. I believe we are a big family and we are a diverse family and we have, um, we have our ups and downs and we have our challenges and there are, there are, this would be a good reality show, honestly. Church would be a good reality show. It shouldn't be, but it, should, it is at times. And so that's where for us, I just want us to walk through what does it mean for us to have our house rules, our core values? What is it, what is it that, that kind of drives us as a home, as a family? What are we about? What do we love? Um, and so last week, if you missed it, we talked a little bit about, we just took a, a brief amount of time to go through our four core values on our vision statement. And then over the next few weeks, we're gonna be kind of unpacking some things that are more peripheral. They're not necessarily a core value, but it's still something we care about, something we love. And so tonight, I'm gonna jump right in <coughs> Excuse me. And tonight we're going to talk about authenticity. Uh, authenticity, the word means the quality of being authentic. Doesn't that tell you a lot? Uh, the word authentic, though, means having an origin supporting by unquestionable evidence, authenticated, verified. This is the, um, the story you read of the person who goes to the garage sale and finds an old painting and somehow, some way, someone says, you know what, I think that might be a Jackson Pollock. And sure enough, it's a Jackson Pollock, but it has to be authenticated. Someone has to look at it, an expert has to look at it and say, oh, no, no, this definitely is. In order for it to have the value that you want it to have, it's gotta be authenticated. And there's a, there's a quality of it being true, of it being genuine that causes it to be authentic. Um, and so that's the aspect to talking about there. But listen to this one. This definition says, not false or copied, genuine, real. Um, for several years, I was, we don't talk about this much, but I was physically addicted to a substance for a while, and it was Dr. Pepper. <laughs> it had me bad, man. Cold sweats, I was shaking in the bathroom floor. No, it wasn't quite that bad. But I love Dr. Pepper. I drank way, way, way too much Dr. Pepper. And one of the most offensive things that anyone could say to me is if I went to a restaurant and I sat down and they said, can I get your drink? What would you like? I'd like a Dr. Pepper. They'd say, is Mr. Pibb okay? Is Mr. Pibb okay? What? I want to stab you with this fork right now. Are you kidding me? Is Mr. Pibb okay? No, Mr. Pibb's not okay. I want Dr. Pepper. That's the real thing. That's authentic, right? Mr. Pibb. Mr. Pibb didn't even bother to go to, go to medical school. Who's <laughs> this Mr. Pibb? Right? And then you go to like all the different grocery stores have their knockoff brand, Dr. Thunder, Dr. Cloud, whatever it is, and they all look kind of the same, they're packaged the same, they have the same color, maybe the same kind of font, because they're trying to tell you we're just as good as the original, but it's not, it's a knockoff. It's not authentic, it is a copy, it's a generic. 
Now, I will say that there's some generics I don't mind gobbling up. The, the bags of cereal, oh yeah, I will get the bags of cereal. And I have been known a couple of times to refill the name brand boxes of cereal at my home with the bags of cereal. <laughs> my girls will say, it doesn't taste as good. Well, how about this one? Oh yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> But there's just something about having the real thing, having the genuine article. And you might be like that. There's things in your life that you just want the authentic. You want the real thing. You don't want any games. You don't want any of the sideshow. You just want the thing that's genuine. And one of the things I believe is that the generation of college students and high school students and even kids Today, one of the things they value more than just about anything else, I believe, is authenticity. And they can spot a phony a million miles away. They can see it. They don't need the Dr. Thunder on the side of the can. They know a phony when they see it. Um, in the world we live in today, the world is constantly telling us what we should believe, how we should be. Uh, they're tr constantly trying to show us what real is. Did anybody see the coverage of the hurricane from the Weather Channel? And this, this video's been shown about two million times and are viewed. And then the video's this guy, and it's a close-up shot, and he's talking, and the rain's pelting him, and he's like, oh, like swaying, and, and the, the video, the camera pans out, and in the background, there are two people walking behind him normally, like they're in shorts and like a windbreaker, and they're just walking behind him, and he's in front of him going, it's really hitting us now, and I thought, well, maybe that 13 feet difference is really making the difference, like it's hitting him, and it's just not gotten to them yet, but, but I thought, how embarrassed was that guy when he saw that later? He thought, man, I gave killer performance right? This is perfect. I'm going to win an Emmy for that. And then later he sees it. And I know he's talking to his camera guy going, Larry, why are you doing that to me? Why didn't you tell, you know, what happened? Well, he was, it was exposed that that wasn't really authentic, right? And we like to believe that's an isolated incident, but the truth is the world around us in many ways is a facade. It is all about what we see, what we feel, um, trying to get us to believe something. See, the world tells us how to be a real man. And the world says, this is how you be a real man. You, you don't cry. So, <laughs> hello. You don't cry. You act tough, right? You rub some dirt on it. You eat meat with your hands and you don't even cook it all the way. You blow stuff up. You shoot stuff. That's manly. And there is something manly about that. But what happens is we identify manliness in one specific way, and if you don't look exactly like this, then you're not really manly. The same thing is true for women. Ladies, I've never had the experience of being a woman before, thankfully. But what I perceive from my position is that the media tells you, hey, you're not a real woman unless you can be 5'10 and 105 pounds, and if you have three kids, you still need to get down to 105 pounds, size zero, two weeks after you have the baby, because that's what we see on every magazine cover. That's what we see in the media. And women are, are strongly sexualized. So, so the, the, the message that's communicated to women is, well, uh, ladies, if you really want to be a real woman, then, then 
You're going to make sure you use your sexuality as a tool and as a weapon. And when we look at Scripture, when Scripture describes women who love God, it looks dramatically different than that. Even our kids, the world tells us, hey, kids, this is what you need to be like. This is what you need to do. Here's what you need to buy. Here's how your life needs to look. And social media is driving this. I actually read a study this last week that said uh, almost 60% of kids said they felt like social media improved their self-esteem. And I wanted to say, you're stupid. <laughs> All it does is it gives us that dopamine. Whenever we, we post something and we see we get likes, there's a little bit of dopamine in our brain that's firing, that's making us feel good, that's going, yeah, we are validated, we are liked. This is what I have to do to get attention and to feel good about myself. So when you're that girl, oh, I'm getting in your business now, this isn't even my notes. When you're that girl that keeps posting the selfies with the duck face, and you get likes over and over and over and you start posting a little bit more scantily and little fewer clothes and you get more likes, you are veering in the wrong direction because you're listening to the world that says, if you want to be liked, if you want to be valued, this is what it looks like. <laughs> and by the way, the guys aren't any better when they do that bathroom selfie without their shirt on. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll do one tonight. We are living for the likes. And what we're doing is, is we're, we're Dr. Thunder. We're fake. We're phony. That's not who we are. That's not authentic. That's not real. But that's the way we live our lives. I heard a story recently. There was a pastor who was visiting these people's homes and, and he was talking to them and he just said, listen, I'm so glad. It looks like your house is so healthy and well-balanced and happy. And he said, I'm so delighted to see your family doing so well and you just to live in a house. like I'm, I'm just so happy to see this. And the husband says, um, well, pastor, if you want to see how we really are, you're going to have to come back sometime when you're not here. Because <laughs> he's basically saying, we're acting the way that we never act because of you. There was, a, there was an old band. Does anybody remember a band called the Swirling Eddies? Four of you will admit that. Uh, so the Swirling Eddies had this song in the 80s called Hide the Beer, the Pastor's Here. And the whole song was about how um, we live one way in front of people, but we really are another way. So you better watch out because the pastor's going to see you acting a way that he doesn't know you act. And the whole song is about putting on a facade and putting on a front and acting a way that you aren't authentically wired. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. We see this in Scripture. One of my favorite characters in the, book of the, in the Bible is, um, is David. I love David. I love his life. And we're going to look at an episode of his life that probably a lot of you know, even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you're here and you don't really go to church, there's a story that you probably know about David, and it's the story of David and Goliath when he fought the giant in the Valley of Allah. Because um, we still talk about it in pop culture today. 
But that was in 1 Samuel 17. That's where we're going to look at his story just for a little bit. But in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel is deployed. He's the high priest. He's deployed to go find and anoint a new king of Israel because the current king, Saul, had, um, he had basically forfeited his right to, to lead the nation of Israel because he was disobedient to God, because his heart had wandered. And so God said, I want to send you to the house of Jesse. I want you to go anoint his son to be king of Israel. So he shows up, and, um, and it's interesting because he shows up to the house of Jesse, and it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And this is God's response whenever the first son, the oldest son, this is the quarterback of the football team, he walks into the living room and, and, Je- and Jesse goes, well, here's my oldest son. And Samuel must have gone, oh, look at this guy, right? Number one pick, this would be my pick. God, this has got to be your guy. God, is this your guy? And God goes, no, he's not my guy. You're looking at the outside. You can't see his heart. I don't need this guy because he looks the part, Right? but he's not authentic. This isn't the one I need. And so he goes, well, do you have any other sons? Yeah, bring out another one. He brings out son after son after son after son. So all the sons are gone. There are no more sons left. And, and Samuel's going, well, uh, do you have any other kids? He goes, oh yeah, we have one baby boy. He's out watching the sheep though. And there's this implication that you probably wouldn't be interested in him. Because at the time, David was about 12 years old, probably. And you're not interested in this guy. And he's the baby, and he's doing the baby's chores. And what the baby does, they do what nobody else wants to do. They're out watching the sheep. You want me to go get him? Samuel says, yeah. So he brings him in. Sure enough, this is the one. And he anoints him as king over Israel. And then they send him back to the field to watch the sheep. That's a whole message in itself right there. That's 1 Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel 17, what we see is the Philistines and the Israelites, they meet up at the Valley of Allah, and they're on each side of the valley facing off against each other, and they are at a bit of a stalemate. Because neither side wants to risk um, just a lot of bloodshed and open warfare, the Philistines have sent their, their champion, whose name is Goliath, out to challenge the, the champion for the Israelites. But the problem is there's no one for the Israelites that want to come out because according to Scripture, Goliath was at least nine feet tall. And if you think that's unrealistic, the tallest man that ever lived was a guy named Robert Wadlow. He was eight feet and just over 11 inches tall, almost nine feet tall when he died, and he was still growing, by the way. He weighed almost 500 pounds. So if you think it's far-fetched to say, how could somebody be nine feet tall? We've seen it in our culture, even, in the not-too-distant history. So this man was at least nine feet tall. He was a massive man. And he was calling for this, this single combat, because what would happen is these champions would face off and whoever lost would probably lose their life and the losing army would be subjected to the winning army. And that way you wouldn't have to lose 
hundreds or thousands of men in open warfare. When Goliath entered the valley, he wore an elaborate tunic made of hundreds of overlapping bronze scales, kind of like a fish. It covered uh, his, his arms and it reached all the way down to his knees and probably weighed over 100 pounds. He had a heavy metal helmet and he had three weapons, uh, a bronze thrusting javelin that could penetrate shields and armor. He, he also carried a sword. <clears throat> In this day and age, the average sword would weigh about two pounds. The Goliath's sword probably weighed about 15 pounds. And he had a spear with a heavy shaft as thick as a weaver's beam, is what Scripture says. And he was an intimidating force of a man. And he walks out into the valley and he challenges the champions of Israel. And for 40 days, no one came out. Every morning and every night, he would walk out into the valley and say, who's gonna come fight me? And he would curse the God of Israel and he would call them cowards and he would call them names. And yet 40 days and 40 nights and no one would fight him. No one would come out into open battle. One day, Jesse said to David, hey, I need you to run an errand for me. Your brothers, his three oldest brothers, your brothers are on the front line. They're fighting. They're in Allah. Why don't you go take food to them? And also, it's interesting, he said, hey, take cheese to their commanders. He's trying to, you know, suck up to the commanders with a little bit of cheese. It doesn't hurt. So he sends some cheese to the front lines, and he said, no, check and see what's going on, and then come back and tell me. Because they didn't have Twitter at that point, right? They didn't have, they didn't have cable. They weren't watching live. So he wanted to hear about what was going on. So he leaves, David goes, and he gets to the front lines where they are. And it's interesting. This is just a side note. It's not going to be on the screen. But in 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 22, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in to order, in order to greet his brothers. So he had all this stuff with him. And he gets to the appointed place and he says, I can't go to the front line with all this stuff, so I'm going to leave it here and go to the place that I need to be. And this is, again, this is a side note. I could probably preach a message on this, but I'm telling you tonight, there's some of you that are carrying such baggage in your life that, that you can't do what God's calling you to do because you're busy with all the baggage. And what David had to do was leave his baggage with the baggage keeper so he could get to where he needed to be. And some of you have baggage in your life that you refuse to put down so you can never get to be where you need to be. And what I'm telling you today is you need to leave the baggage with the baggage keeper today. That's just a side note. So David goes to the front lines, and I can imagine him jumping up, kind of looking over the guys. They're all lined up, and he, what's going on? Remember, David's 12, maybe 13, 14 years old at the oldest. What's going on? <laughs> they explain what's happening, and he sees Goliath out in the field, and he basically says, why doesn't somebody do something about this? You're going to let this uncircumcised Philistine come and talk trash to us. I can't believe you'd do that. Somebody ought to man up and go do something. And I can imagine if I was there, I'd love to say, I would sit, be like, oh, yes, yeah, so man of faith, we will provide and help make way for you. But 12 or 13 year old was talking about how he was going to fight the nine foot giant, insurmountable odds. I probably would have told him to shut up. Hey, know your place, right? And in fact, that's what his brothers did. In 1 Samuel 17, 28, it says, now Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, why have you come down? 
And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Can you hear the condescension in his voice? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So Eliab says to him, he says, hey, how are those little sheep doing, baby brother? I'm surprised you can get away from the sheep. It's so demanding to take care of them. It was condescension. Basically what he was saying is, know your place. Don't you know who you are? You're just a kid. What do you know about any of this? You should be back at the field watching the sheep. Don't you know you're just a sheep herder? You're a shepherd. That's all you are. And beyond that, I know your heart. Your heart's evil. So you don't belong here. See, see what he was doing in that moment was saying, you need to come into alignment with what I'm saying. Because your identity is, you're a shepherd and your heart is wrong. <laughs> and what I'm telling you tonight is there are people in your life that will identify who you are for you. They'll say, no, 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 you don't need to be that. This is who you are. And sometimes that's out of alignment with who God says we are. And what we have a choice to make is, am I going to be authentic? Am I going to be real? Am I going to be genuine to what God's called me to do? Or am I just going to fall in line and be a good soldier and just know my place? And David had a choice to make. And scripture says he didn't listen to his brother. What a punk David was, right? He just began having these conversations with other people. And in fact, it's interesting um, because when the talk finally got to the king, the king heard about it and he came to David. He's like, okay, what is this mess? What is going on? And David says basically the same thing. Somebody ought to do something about this. I am that somebody. It says in 1 Samuel Chapter 17, verse 32, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of the giant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. Again, another person telling him, no, 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 know your place. This is not who you are. I know this is who you feel like you might, but that's not who you are. You can't fight with this guy. You can't contend with this guy. Look at him, right? We don't need to pray about this. This makes obvious sense. Why would we do this? Why would we let you fight? And David had a decision to make. He, he had to decide, has God created me to fight this battle? Has God, is this genuinely who I am? Or is this just some wild-haired scheme that I've come up with? But we see these two important figures in David's life both speak to him and say, no, 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 that's not what you're supposed to be. That is not who you are. You need to turn away from this path. And David continues to push on. Verse 34 says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. So I want to, I want to stop there. Let me back up. <clears throat> Being a shepherd was one of the lowest roles anybody could have. No one went to school to become a shepherd, Okay. Nobody aspired to that role in life. It was something that you got stuck doing if you didn't have any other skills. <laughs> and David immediately says, hey, that time that I was off in the field that I felt like it was wasted because I was on the backside of nowhere watching sheep that anybody could have been watching these sheep. 
He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David, he gives them this impassioned plea, and he said, that was not wasted time for me. I thought it was wasted time. I thought it was relegated to the backside of the wilderness, but I learned there to do what God is calling me to do right now. See, you're telling me this is not who I am. You're telling me that I should put this aside, but God has been preparing me in that very place of scorn to do what God is calling me to do right here. See, I, I could say, oh, I'm just a shepherd boy, or I could recognize that that time as a shepherd boy was preparing me to step into battle against this foe. And he had a choice to make. Am I going to be authentic? Is this, is this really who I am? Is this really what I'm about? Am I willing for people to think less of me because I believe what I believe? Verse 38 says this. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's staff. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So this is what Saul said. Saul says, this is what has to happen because we're going into single combat. So if you go into single combat, you're going to have to put on the armor. You're going to have to put on the helmet. You're going to have to put on the, the coat mail, this this basically jacket of metal that will help try to protect you. I don't know if it'll protect you against this guy because he's a beast, but might as well. And here's your armor, here's your shield, here's your sword. And David gets into it and he says, I can't do that. I can't even move. He says, you're clothing me in your outfit. You're dressing me like you. But I can't do what I'm supposed to do if I'm dressed like you. <laughs> Are you following me? You want me to look like you for this battle, but I will lose the battle if I look like you. If you'll trust me, if you'll just let me be who I know God's called me to be, I'm going to win this battle. And so he takes off the helmet, he throws down the shield. I love it. Because what does he do? He goes back to the tools of his trade as a shepherd. He says, I'm going to take my shepherd's staff, I'm going to take my pouch that I would carry with me all those days and nights out in the wilderness. And I'm going to take five smooth stones. And he carried those things into battle. It was funny. Uh, my previous church uh, that I was on staff at in Oklahoma City, um, so when Kim and I went there, it felt a little weird because they were a cool church. And now, some people think we're cool church. We are not cool church. Believe me. I'm one of the least cool people I know. If I didn't have this beard, I would have nothing going for me in the way of coolness, okay? I am blue jeans and t-shirt guy to the max. This is dressy for me, okay? 
I'm not cool. But we went to this church and everybody had funky hair and like tight pants. I don't know if you think tight pants are cool, but they thought tight pants were cool. Like skinny jeans and like scarves and they dressed like Todd, except even cooler. (laughs) And so this is what I I told the church one day. We were talking about being yourself and I told them, I said, man, you know what? Uh, Man, I love our staff. I love our worship team. Man, look at these guys. don't they look great? Yeah, they look great. And I said, you know what? These guys, they're like, they're like sports cars. They're like Lamborghinis, right? They're like a Porsche. I'm, I'm more like a Winnebago. <laughs> they are built for speed and to look good. You're not racing anybody in a Winnebago, right? You, you're in a Winnebago because you want it to be comfortable. You want to get there safely. And it's like, you got it. Comfort over speed. That's me, right? But I said, you know what? If I put on their clothes, I just couldn't pull that off. I said, no, literally, I couldn't pull it off. If I got it on, it'd be like, There's, I can't get these, how do I get these pants, you know? They have to be surgically removed. But that wasn't me. Yeah. I can't wear skinny jeans for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> That's not me. It's one of the things we value is authenticity. We value being who you are. And it's okay to be who you are, even if you're not perfect. Because guess what? None of us are perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just expects us to show up and be faithful. That's it. So when David said, I can't wear this outfit. If you expect me to win the battle, I can't do it. Because that's not who I am. See, Goliath was expecting to find a man that was outfitted for battle. And when David walks into the field, he begins cursing him. In fact, he says, what am I, a dog that you're going to come to me with a stick? Because he sees a shepherd's staff. And see, what we've done is we have looked at this scene traditionally as this epic of this underdog defeating the giant. It's interesting because um, there's a, an author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. He's written a whole bunch of books. He's not a Christian author, but he, he's got a book called David and Goliath. And he talks in the book about how we, perceive, how we perceive strength and how we perceive weakness. And many times our perception is off. Because what he said is David actually walked into that encounter with the advantage. And one of the things he says is this, that in ancient armies, there were three kinds of warriors, similar to what we have today. There was cavalry, there were armed men on horseback and chariots. There was infantry, these were foot soldiers wearing heavy armor, armed with swords and shields. And then the third was artillery, is what we'd call it today. These were the people that would fight at long range. These were archers or slingers. And all three of these would, would compensate for the other. It's kind of like playing paper, rock, scissors, Right? Every one of those defeats another. So archers or the, the artillery, the slingers, were great at taking out the cavalry. Infantry was fabulous at taking out the artillery because you couldn't hit the people on the, the horses. And so uh, and, and the, the cavalry, I mean, the infantry was wonderful at weathering the storm. So what you see is this, this confluence of how they fought each other and overcome each other, overcame each other. And what we have to understand is when David walked into that field, everyone might have felt like that he was at a disadvantage. But what we know now is, even though he was small, even though he didn't have armor, even though he was just a kid, because he was a skilled slinger, he had an advantage. 
And many of you feel like, man, if I'm really who, uh, if I act the way I know God's called me to act, if I be the person, the authentic person God's called me to be, the world's going to hate me. It's going to be a disadvantage strategy. I should not do that. I'm telling you, the thing you think is a disadvantage is your advantage. The thing you think is your biggest drawback is your biggest advantage in this world. It's interesting because it says in 1 Samuel 17, 48, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He couldn't have run if he had the armor on, but he was enthusiastic about getting to the battle. What sane person would do that? I would say a person who's expecting to win. Let's get this over with. I got lunch plans. He strode into the field. He whipped a rock that hit Goliath in the head. Goliath fell. And he goes over and cuts Goliath's head off with his own sword. This 12 or 13 or 14 year old boy heaves this 15 pound sword out of its sheath, drops it on his neck. It says after the battle was over with, the Philistines fled. The Israelites gave chase. And David took the head of Goliath as a trophy. One of the things that's interesting is modern scientists actually believe that Goliath might have had uh, acromegala, I think is how you pronounce it. But it's a condition where uh, your pituitary gland uh, gland begins to produce too much growth hormone. This is similar to the the condition that Robert Wadlow had, um, that you grow and grow and grow. And see, from a distance, he looked like a giant. But if this was true, he probably had problems with his eyes. He probably had problems with his joints. He probably had a hard time getting around. And so from a distance, it looked like a giant. Man, there is no competition with this giant. But when you know what's really going on, you begin to say, well, why couldn't this kid beat the giant? Why couldn't this kid who's been working his whole life to kill giants kill this giant? If he will just be authentic and just be real and just be genuine, just be who he's supposed to be. It's interesting, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter's talking to the church, and he says this, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be, be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What Peter is telling the churches, don't be so concerned about what's going on in the outside. Be concerned about what's going on in the inside. And see, the world we live in today is all about the show. It's all about what's up front. And what Peter is saying, and I I believe what God is concerned about, is what's happening in our hearts, what's happening under the surface. See, one of the things David understood was written in Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, the only way we can be authentic is if we truly understand that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Because what happens is we want to cover up, we want to hide, we want to protect, we want to make people think the best, and then we think, I'm not lovable, I'm not lovely, how could I be? Because I know me, and so I've got to put on a front, I've got to be something I'm not. But if we understand what the psalmist was saying here, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He created you with the heart you have, with the passions you have, with the desires you have, with the talents you have, for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Renew a spirit within me. Last week we talked about, um, spent a lot of time on 2 Corinthians 5.17. <laughs> it was funny because in this passage it says, Therefore, if any was in a crisis, a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. And we use this illustration. I talked about burritos and prime rib. I won't get back into it today. But it was interesting last week on social media, somebody from, that was here at church, I think in the 11 o'clock service, they just posted and said, I'm not, I'm not a burrito, I'm prime rib on their social media. And I'm like, all right, that's all they got. But that's, well, that's worth it. I like it. What they're saying is I'm different, right? I'm totally different. I'm transformed, which is great. And, and what we see here is the message last week was God's desire is to transform our hearts. And you go, well, Mal, how do we reconcile this idea that God wants to transform us, but God loves us the way we are? That doesn't even make sense. Because doesn't that mean everything's going to change? And this is what I would tell you tonight. I think God wants to transform your sin nature. But what he created you to be and do is resident in you already. Some of the talents and abilities you've got, God placed that in you to advance his kingdom, for him to get glory. But we put that aside and go, well, no, God can't use this because that's not churchy, right? Because I don't sing, I don't preach, so God can't use this for his glory. But maybe God gave you, <laughs> my first thing that came to mind was this, so I'm not getting political. Maybe God gave you a passion to fire guns. And Lord knows, Western Pennsylvania, there are plenty of us in the room, right? But maybe God gave you a passion for guns and you make your own bullet, all those kind of things. God can use that for his glory. It, it, he put that in you. He can use that for his glory. So what God does is he transforms our heart. He brings us into alignment with his word, with his purpose for our lives. And then he begins to take all the stuff that we think, man, that's useless. That's just me sitting out in the field watching sheep. And he goes, no, 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 no. I've got a giant I need you to kill. And I've been preparing you from the beginning of time to kill that giant. You thought it was wasted time, but it's not. Now just be yourself, be authentic, be real. And you can do what I'm asking you to do. One of the things I say during growth track is that design reveals destiny. How God designed you, how God wired you, what he put in you, if you'll just be authentic to that, it will help you discover why you were made. Now, those things can't contradict Scripture, but that's what God's got for you. E.E. E. Cummings was a poet, and he said this. He said, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. See, here at Summit Church, we, we love every single person that walks through the door. We're going to accept every single person that walks through the door. We're going to respect every single person that walks through the door. But with that statement being made, God loves us too much to leave us where we are. God is continually transforming us and growing us and stretching us more into his image. 
And so just because we love you doesn't mean we're going to go, well, now you're good just the way you are. No, no, no. There's some aspects of your life that I think God wants to use, but there's some aspects of your life just like there's aspects of my life that God goes, no, I'm not quite done there yet. There's still some more transformation that needs to happen. There's still some more shifting that needs to happen. But I want you to understand my heart today. What I'm telling you today is this is a safe place for us to just say, God, this is who I am. With all my mess, with all my issues, with all my baggage, this is who I am. Because honestly, that's what family is. Family should be a safe place where we can come together and go, man, I don't have my life all put together. And we can love each other and support each other. That's what a healthy family looks like. And that's what I want our church to be. I want our church to be someplace that we can be authentic, that we can be real, that we don't have to put on the, the Sunday morning face you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I jokingly say this, but it's true. Hey, brother, how are you, brother? I'm good, brother. How are you, brother? I've, I've been to that church before. I don't like going to that church. I don't want to hear everybody's problems all the time, but at the same time, if you got issues, let's work through it. Let's fix it. The definition of, of authentic is having an origin supported by unquestionable evidence, authenticated, verified. I'm telling you today, <laughs> you have an origin supported by unquestionable evidence. If you surrendered your life to Christ, you're a child of God. You've been stamped. And the converse is not false or copied, genuine, real. If you are copying anybody else's life, if you're doing what anybody else says you're supposed to do because this is how you fall into line and this is what it's supposed to look like, I'm telling you tonight, you're robbing the world of the gift of you. The world needs you. Not, not some copy of somebody else. The world needs you. Your family needs you. Your school needs you. Your workplace needs you and needs Christ in you more than anything else. So my question to you tonight is, are you going to live authentically or are you going to be happy to continue to be Dr. Thunder? <laughs> Let me pray with you. Lord, we love you so much and I'm so grateful that in you there is freedom to be ourselves, that we don't have to put on a show or a front for you. I'm thankful that when... Christ died, the, the veil between the Holy of Holies and us was torn, that there's no longer anything separating us from you. So God, we don't have to put on a show or a front for you. We can come to you authentically who we are. And Lord, you love us and accept us. And God, you don't leave us the way we are, but God, we come to you that way. And so Lord, I'm, I'm asking right now, for those that are here that are wearing masks, that are putting on a front, that are acting like something that they're really not, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help break through that, that facade and help them discover freedom of being authentic. God, I pray for those that are here tonight who don't know you. God, I pray that they would, they would surrender their lives to you today and discover what it truly means to be fully known and fully loved. So God, I pray that you would just work in our hearts right now. Now, with nobody looking around and your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if you're here tonight and you say, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I want to experience what it means to be fully known and fully loved by Christ. I'm tired of putting on a front and tired of putting on a show, a religious act, whatever it might be. And you say, tonight, I just want to be real with God. I want to make him Lord of my life. 
Nobody looking around. If that's you, would you be bold enough to say, that's me, Mel, pray for me, and just slip your hand up real high where I can see it. Thanks. Over here on my right, I see you. Praise God. Yeah, up in the balcony. I see a couple hands. Thanks. Awesome. Who else would join these and say, pray for me? Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life tonight. All right. I'd like everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me just as I am. Thank you that I don't have to jump through hoops or put on an act to get you to love me. So take my life and use it for your glory. Help me live my life authentically. Help me to be genuine and real with the people around me. And I pray that you would be glorified through my life. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause tonight. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, we want to help you take another step in your faith journey. We want to help you uh, by, by getting you plugged into relationships and resources that are going to help you grow your faith. You can fill the card that's in the seat back in front of you out. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. Simply fill out the side of the card that says salvation, drop in one of our offering boxes as you leave. And when you do that, in the next couple days, one of our team is going to reach out to you, help you get connected with uh, groups like our starting point that Pastor Dick teaches, um, get you connected with some resources that are going to help you take the next step. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, we want to help you take the next step. You can text the word SALVATION to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're going to help you grow in your faith. We'll connect you to resources either here at Summit Church or Maybe you're somewhere throughout the United States or world. We're going to help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with. So again, thank you for worshiping with us tonight. The worship team is going to lead us in one final song. We're going to worship together while we're doing that. Our prayer team is going to come up and make their way up to either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all tonight, before you leave, please step out. Find one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you tonight. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach director. She's going to come back up and she'll close us out. Stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time. I tell you guys all the time, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.